from Coimbra to Colombia, from Morocco to Miami. We tell the stories of the people who make the world of international law and business turn. We give glimpses into their lives and provide insights from their experience. These accounts come from every sector and every industry around the globe. Simply put, without further ado, I am Chris Campbell, and you're listening to Tales of the Tribunal, where practice meets personality. Happy New Year! <laughs> so long 2021, and come on in 2022. And welcome back to all of you for a very special episode of Tales of the Tribunal. Now, I know that it has been a while since we've had a chance to sit down and enjoy each other's company here in the digital world. But I'm here to tell you, dear listeners, we are still working on a new format for Disputes Digest, which will absolutely return in 2022. And of course, we are also hard at work putting together season four of this show. But before we get into next season, we have some things to take care of here in the new year. We have a little gift, call it a delayed Christmas present for the VIS students and coaches out there who I'm sure are basically pretty much definitely, almost certainly done with their respondents memos by now. Okay, okay, I joke, I joke, I kid, I kid. You have a couple of more weeks before you get there. But on today on the show, we have a feature conversation with two lawyers whose day-to-day work is involved in, you guessed it, the palm oil industry. This year's problem is all about previous and industry standards in the palm oil industry. and even involves some standardized contracts and documents that are unique to the field. So, we were lucky enough to sit down with Pablo Lebanev and Ivan Kasinuk of the law firm AGA Lawyers. We had a fascinating conversation about the palm oil industry, the Vismoon, and we got into their backgrounds a little bit as well. So, sit back, buckle up, and enjoy my conversation with Pablo and Ivan. And stick around after the show for a couple of special announcements that you won't want to miss. See you then! Hello and welcome back to Tales of the Tribunal with Chris Campbell. I'm your host, Chris Campbell, here to tell you another tale, another story from around the wide, wide world of international law, dispute resolution, and business. Now, listeners, I know what you were thinking. It is the end of 2021. We find ourselves here in December, and you might be saying, Chris, it's not this season time yet. It's not time for season four. What are you doing here? Why are we having an additional episode in between seasons? Well, listeners, I have a very special set of guests today with me that we just could not wait until the start of season four and we wanted to bring you live well as close to live as we get here on the show and in almost in person virtually at least um relating to some content and information that we thought would be very helpful for those that are toiling away either as coaches or as students in the 2021-2022 iteration of the this moot so With that sort of lead in, I'm going to briefly introduce my first two guests and as we do here on the show, allow them to do a little bit of an introduction themselves. With me today, I have two lawyers, two counsel that work in the field that is related to this year's VIS problem. That's the world of palm oil and the things thereabouts. So um, without further ado, allow me to introduce Mr. Ivan Kasinuk and Pablo Labaduk. Gentlemen, I have taken my best effort at saying those names. Correct me if I've said those wrong. But what we will say is welcome to the show. Glad to have you. 
Uh, Chris, thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be with you and it's a great pleasure to share uh, some experience about uh, about the practice in oils and uh, we we hope we'll, we will enjoy it uh, and uh, we'll do our best to give as much tips as possible with respect to this practice so we, we are ready thanks Ivan and thanks and thank you for being here as well Pablo yeah thank you for inviting us today it's indeed a great great pleasure for us to participate in your podcast Oh, great. No, I, I appreciate you guys being here. And before we get too much into the substance, the guts of this week's show, what all the listeners are waiting to hear, why don't we start off with those questions that we love to ask all of our guests? Um, and, you know, either, in either order, but maybe we'll start with you, Pablo. Who are you? Where are you from? What do the people need to know? So my name is Pablo Lebedev, and I'm a Ukrainian lawyer qualified in this country. And I'm specializing on commodities arbitration and international trade. I received an LLM from Stockholm University and came back to Ukraine to practice law here. In addition, when my working day ends, I also become a Wismut coach and teach my students uh, of the University of Kiev. And here, this is my practice in extracurricular activities. Also, I'm developing a legal simulator to reform the legal education in Ukraine. And these are my main activities. Well, it's very interesting. Um, you know, taking a step back for just a moment, I mean, did you know that you always wanted to be a commodities lawyer working international arbitration or what, what took you down that path? Not at all. Uh, to be honest, my interest in dispute resolution in general came from my school years. I participated in debates. This is kind of popular thing back in Ukraine. And yeah, it created really my good impressions about the advocacy and I decided to apply for a law school. And this is how I found myself at the Institute of International Relations. It is a part of Kiev National University. And there I studied international law. It's kind of a different field in Ukraine. It's a weird division, but we have it. And yeah, at that time I became interested in international relations in diplomacy. And at some point these two fields merged. So international relations and law. And I got an offer from an arbitration boutique to intern there. And this is how my career started. So that was, I was then 19 years old and I started work in arbitration and I really liked it and continued my path within this field. Well, sure. No, that, that's very interesting. Um, okay. No, well, there are lots of interesting threads to pull out there, especially the simulator that you're discussing. We'll have to come back to that in a little bit. Um, well, then turning to you, Ivan, um, who are you? Where are you from? What do the people need to know about you? My name is Ivan. <laughs> the, the other important thing is that I'm a partner at uh, the arbitration boutique which started at 2005 it's we, this year we're going to have like 16 years of activity in a commodities arbitration i never expected that i will be uh, an arbitration lawyer and i never expected that i will be a commodity lawyer because there was no profession like that at all like uh, at, uh, at, uh, at 2005 when i actually started my career as a lawyer 
there there was no uh, no position to do this job and it was actually created it was created by ourselves back in those years because when we actually saw that this market is developing in Ukraine quite rapidly we did understood that uh, we can do that irrespective of the fact that it is governed by the different law irrespective of the fact that we had no experience previously and our competitors will be uh, English law firms uh, but we just decided that we have a market for this job and we just started to do that we started learning I actually um, uh, got a uh, postgraduate diploma for, from Queen Mary just 10 years later. So uh, the, 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 the first cases that we actually did uh, uh, in the commodities arbitration, we had no experience whatsoever in this field. But because of the books and because of our intensive work, we just uh decided that we can do that and the, the first two cases what we actually won so uh, we, we, we 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 trusted and we believed in our that we can do that and right now we actually one of the biggest law firm in the world in a commodities arbitration so and we we keep working on that well yeah i mean we we have this expression that i mean you guys it sounds like you were were building the plane while it was flying so to speak i mean <laughs> you know that that's really interesting yeah. to to be doing that. That, that that's actually extremely interesting because our will be our uh, law system in ukraine and in europe overall is quite formalistic actually so uh it, it's 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 a huge contrast with with u.s law or uk english law uh it, it's something that you used to but we are quite formalistic we have laws that are directly written in, in the rel in the relevant uh uh, documents, I would say, and 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 uh, English law became uh, for us as, uh, as 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 a huge mountain that we had to climb in uh, because it was a completely different. It had a completely different approach. But we actually fond of doing that, and we think that's the best work we can have. As well, person. sure. And um, I guess before we turn from that for a moment, uh, I mean, what what were if you had to say something that you really took one thing that you took away from that process or something that really sticks with you um is there anything in particular or um anything that sticks out in your mind well uh i think that this work is very special because you need to be a businessman in the truest way because you need to understand the market and the market operates in a way that arbitrators are usually traders they're businessmen and you need to explain them in the same way the information you need to have it during the arbitration so this is the main takeaway from this industry for me personally i i will add pablo here and i will agree completely so it's definitely the knowledge of industry is in the first place because if you don't know the industry, you can't be a commodity lawyer. You can be a lawyer, but you will not be a commodity lawyer. So uh, uh, because you need to know so much particular things about the shipping, about the way the goods are transported, about the bill of flattings, about the goods, surveyors, superintendents, 
the, the quality of the goods. You need to know how, how it's actually working, how, how do you examine the goods, uh, how should it be examined, what is the process for that. And if you don't know that, you actually cannot advise your clients because your clients only on the second place is interested in arbitration at costs, uh, at, uh, at, at, at different things. Uh, uh, and why is that? The other thing which is important here, which I think all the audience must understand, is that the arbitrators in commodity arbitration, they're actually not lawyers. So the, the, your arguments, uh, the, the, there are few actually, there are few, but but the majority of arbitrators, they are they are traders with certain level of experience in law and understanding of law. They they do some courses, etc. Uh, they get some advices uh, that, that helps them to understand the legal aspects of the case. But uh, overall, they are traders. That's why you must. Think as a trader and you must present your case for the trader to understand rather than for the lawyer to understand. No, that's very interesting. Um, and I bet that that's something that, that, that sort of extends over any really industry specific uh, sort of matter of dispute resolution. Um, and before we even jump into the, the this stuff further, I think it's kind of just a practical question after the, that ex explanation from the two of you would be, I mean, how, you know, did you, is there at some point you say, I'm going to be a commodities lawyer and I'm going to look up a bunch of commodities stuff, or is it kind of a more gradual process or how exactly do you go about attaining that knowledge? Uh, I will start here. Maybe Pablo will, will add me. Uh, th th that's one of the biggest challenge. That's one of the biggest challenge because uh when i like 10 years later decided that i need to upgrade my knowledge i need to get something new where i can get that uh, i did realize so, so that there is no university worldwide that could give me that knowledge i mean there are the, the, there are uh, like specific knowledge for commodities arbitration so yes there are some uh, uh, uh there are some programs within the universities where you can learn on uh, Inca terms, on FOB, CIF, on other stuff. That, that's that's quite straightforward. But the, but that's obviously not enough to understand the commodity arbitration. The other thing here is that there are no uh, precedents, there is no case file that you can read at least to understand what are the approaches because all of them are confidential and not only because of the confidentiality reasons, because the approaches taken by the arbitrators can be quite different in the same cases because it's, it depends on the personalities, it depends on the approaches taken, uh, on the attitude of a specific arbitrator. Uh, that's why they're trying to avoid uh, to, 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 to make these cases public. Uh, and that uh, uh, creates quite a big problem for, for young lawyers who wish to become uh, uh, commodity, uh, commodity lawyers. Uh, so the, the, the only chance you can do is to attend the specific courses that, uh, that is arranged by the phosphor or the similar organization, uh, GAFTA, they have educational courses. We are actually the speakers of those courses. Uh, and uh, where you can get the basics 
right? Where you can get the basics of what the contract is uh, in a commodity, how it must be performed, what are the main aspects. So this is number one way you can get that. So the courses of these specific organizations. And number two, you must visit different conferences, uh, agri-conference, palm oil conference, to speak with the to speak with the people, to, to hear their speeches, to understand. Maybe you can get the relevant experience also by working at, uh, at agro-trading companies like Punge, like Cargill, Topfer, etc. The, the companies that actually trade in oils. And if you get there, if you get then, then you can get the relevant expertise, which in, in the following years you, you can um you, you you can be a commodity lawyer you can become a commodity lawyer so that that that's actually the tips how you can get there and here there are lots of lots of standard contracts which are more or less typical and whereas you are doing lots of cases you see certain patterns in the dispute resolution and how the parties pose their arguments and how the arbitrators perceive them you can use all those patterns in your further practice. So this is, I think, the main point about commodities arbitration, that you need to practice a lot in order to understand how this industry works. Sure. No, I think that that's very helpful. And I'm going to pick on something that, uh, that Ivan just said when you talk about conferences. I mean, a conference for example, is that the issue of this year's VIS problem? And I think that's a great segue um, to sort of turn into. Um, before doing that, though, um, let's let's ask the, the sort of initial question. Um, Pablo, um, what has been, have you been involved with the VIS? I hear that you, you're a coach. Um, what Were you a Moody at some point, too? And what's your kind of experience been with the VIS? Uh, yes, I participated myself in VIS mode twice. I had quite a weird way of doing that. I first got a job in arbitration and you had to do some research there or just prepare some procedural documents, but we were not allowed to use our advocacy skills within our work. And I really wanted to improve these skills and Vismut appeared to be the best option because you can have practice session with any team in the world and almost 500 teams and universities are participating in this competition. So I applied for the Vismut and got selected into the, into the team. And it was really amazing experience because you didn't only get some practical knowledge of how to plead or how to prepare the memorandum. I got acquainted with the great number of people who became my long life friends and in this way i really enjoyed the process although within the first year of my participation in this competition we were not that lucky although we worked a lot and we didn't get into the elimination rounds so when i became a student of stockholm university i decided to participate once more and that was a completely different experience because we had very unusual Swedish team, which consisted of two Ukrainians, one Czech guy, two girls from Australia and Germany. And <laughs> it was very interesting to see how this Swedish team interacted because we had the points of view both from civil law and common law. And this experience enriched my life and my 
legal education a lot. And besides, Bismuth is also about a great vibe because when you come to Vienna, and I was lucky to participate in the on, in offline version of the Bismuth, when you come there and you see in front of you those people whose books you use when writing your memorandum or when um, preparing your pleadings, you become excited that they participate in the same competition, in the same event than you do. And that, this inspired me a lot. And actually, our team got into top 16 teams in the world. That was a great success. We shouted, we screamed, we cried. So that we were very, very lucky and appreciated this achievement a lot. And I thought that I really want to pursue this Vismut career, I would say. And I became a coach when coming back to Ukraine. I became a coach of Kyiv National University team. And we used all that experience that we had in, at Stockholm University in our particular Ukrainian team. And previously, no Ukrainian team got into the elimination rounds. But due to our great work and you know synergy that was within our team, our team eventually got into the elimination rounds for the first time in the history. And that, again, made me inspired and I decided to continue this path again and well here I am and I'm also coaching Kiev National University this year as well. Now that, that's quite a journey I mean I think that that is like uh, the quintessential uh, story of what the organizers would want for someone to go from being a student to um, uh, two occasions to then becoming a coach to now being involved um, then of course it sounds like you're involved as an alum too so I mean that, that that's a great uh, a way to be involved with the organization. Yeah, I, I would say that this mood is mainly about international community. Almost every arbitration practitioner would be somehow involved as a coach, as a judge, as a participant. So this is like a good opportunity to make friends there and, you know, sustain this friendship with, throughout your entire life. Well, look, I, Ivan, I know that uh, you have, weren't necessarily involved with the VIS in your school days, um, but I mean, now between myself and, and uh, Pablo, you've kind of got an inroad. You're, you're connected in some way, part of the bigger VIS community. <laughs> I, I actually, I'm, I was lucky to, to be a judge at VIS Moot twice, so, so I, I, I had a certain experience in this respect. And actually, uh, for me, it was such a fun journey because uh, I, I I actually felt myself like 10, 15 years ago when I actually started learning it by myself. And I just, I, I've just been thinking, that's a great chance for young, uh, young guns to, to actually, uh, to actually try themselves in real battle almost real battle because i mean when i read the case this year's case and the previous one i mean i do i do realize that this is something that we are dealing every day and that, that's this really super opportunity for for everyone involved to to get the relevant experience actually this, this is kind of an answer to your previous question when you asked how can you get that actually this is an answer to that as well it's 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 a, it's, a, it's a great chance to get this to get this experience. Well, sure, and that, that's an interesting point that, that maybe we'll just follow for just a moment. Um, you know, when you certainly there's a way that we do it in in practice, but as a Moody, you know, when you arrive, you know, your your senior partner or someone walks in your office, throws a case file down on the desk, 
you know, what, what do you do? I mean, did you start just reading the case file front to back? Do you kind of try and skim it and then try and do some research? I mean, what are some of the techniques that you guys use when you're trying to digest the case file or something that maybe the Moody's can keep in mind as they start working, as they continue working with the case file? Yeah, I would say, first of all, I try and understand why this dispute occurred. I try to understand what is the commercial position of each party, why they decided to enter or not to enter into the contract. And if I'm not familiar with some, you know, industrial things, then I go deep into the internet and try to find some answer to my questions. So this is the first step when you assess the case file. Then, of course, I will check the, the legal basis, so the contracts, the correspondence between the parties, and afterwards I will check, I would check the law, usually it is English law that is applicable to commodities arbitration, and in this way I gather all the information I need to have a preliminary assessment of the situation, and then we will, we would discuss with our partners, with our colleagues, they certainly would have a different approach in respect of some other issues, but during our discussions we would like to try, try to find the truth and to find the best approach in this or that case. I will add Pavel here because um, like from my perspective as being, being as a partner uh, in these cases, for me the commercial side means a lot, so uh, what what was the intention of our client? So I must understand what is an idea behind this dispute, why it actually occurred. So what the contract was agreed, was the intention of the parties, whether the contract that actually at hands, does this contract really reflect the intention of the parties to enter into this agreement? Maybe it's different from, from what they actually agreed on. So that, that's really important because that's the fundamental thing you must to understand. Uh, uh, the, the other side which you have to understand if you, again, if you're in position for probably of a partner of the one who, who, who takes the decision, you must understand the desire, the client's desires. So what, 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 what outcome of the case is expected by the client? What, what he really wished to see at the end of the road? Because in, in many, many cases, I'm advising to, for the clients to seize the case, to stop it. Because uh, I see, for example, not, not a big chances to succeed then they're not even if it's if it's 50 50 percent usually I advise clients to just stop it because you will lose much more money you will lose time you will lose energy you you, you will lose much more efforts you 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 rather go to the market and earn more money to do something more interesting that that, that can give you greater benefit because a lot of disputes in the, in the commodity arbitration, uh, uh, they are not always black and white. They, 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 they're sometimes very gray zone, and um, it's, it's not always you have a bad guy and a good guy. Sometimes it's the circumstances, it's many, many things. And you have to take this all in mind, because at the end of the road, you must understand that your client must be happy. Your client must be happy, 
and uh, losing is not getting your, your, your client to happiness. So that's why sometimes advice not to proceed and not to go anywhere is, is much better advice, advice than just let's do that, let's go run and win and you must be really confident that you win. And that's what actually from my perspective brought us to, to the success because we always trying to be a little bit more conservative uh, and safe for the client rather than risky. Uh, they, 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 this business is risky enough for the lawyers not to be that risky, I would say. Well, no, sure, sure. Um, and, and something that we kind of touched on a couple of times in this conversation that you just mentioned there, um, Ivan, is, is the knowledge specifically related to, to the industry that you're working in. Um, as you, as Vis Moody's that are listening will probably have been aware, probably have been their status when they first started this year. Um, you hear about two different organizations, and I'll address one. Uh, my question about these organizations to to each of you. But first, what in the world is the Federation of Oils, Seeds, and Fats Association, or FOSFA, as it's abbreviated, <laughs> in the um, in the problem, Ivan? Uh, can you tell us some about that? Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, Chris. So the, the, actually, this is a major association in the world, I would say, because most of, so they, they, they do two major things. Phosphor do two major things. Number one, they do contracts. The, the typical contracts that, 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 that businessmen incorporate into their agreements, because most of the agreements are extremely short. It's, it's, it's a WhatsApp message or, I don't know, Viber Telegram message where you just, uh, we just you must read write down the fundamentals the price the shipment period the commodity uh the quality major quality characteristics and that's it that that's i mean maybe uh, again fob cif uh, the, the the destination that's it that's it that's what you have to know what you have to agree with your client and then you just simply incorporate the contract you just say Phosphor number 11, phosphor number 51, or are the respective contract, which is already has everything in build, meaning arbitration clause, uh, the, 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 the quality of the goods, the examination, the, the place where the goods are final in terms of, in, in many respects, et cetera, et cetera. So it's everything that phosphor did for you, and you just must use it. Uh, the other thing which phosphor do is, uh, is arbitration it's it's actually a dispute resolution forum for for the businessmen for for the traders who decide to trade with the oils and i would say that at least uh, i would say 80 to 90 percent of all the global market of oil and oil seeds it's a phosphor contract so mm. it's covering uh, globally whole trade in the world it's just only few of them, like 10 to 50 percent, is some some different terms, some different from phosphor, some different from English law, some different from the terms that are used by the phosphor. So those are two major things that is done by the phosphor. Uh, and because of this flexibility, and because of the fact that phosphor is uh, always in line with the current trade and current practices. They are trying to develop their contracts on a daily basis. They're modifying them always. So that's why the traders feel that, okay, that, that, that's something they can use every day. Uh, and um, the other thing what 
about phosphor which you must understand is that um they also support the business so you can get the advice from them in respect of the traders where, where the, in respect of members of the association they, they can give you some tips on what is going on on the market you got the news you got the training courses and that's the major association for oils uh just just maybe some little off top here because if you will look at the uh, uh, other association which is also is based in London which is called GAFTA and they trade it's a grain and feed trade association so it's quite a similar sister association by their covering uh, they, they're covering different commodity positions so like corn like wheat like barley but they are quite similar in terms of the approaches they're taking so that's something which is important to understand Sure. Um, Noah, I think that's a really interesting. Uh, you did a good job of sort of priming that down in just a couple of minutes. Uh, so so thanks for distilling it that way. Um, and similar sort of in line with that and staying in the industry, uh, Pablo, can you tell us some about the Palm Oil Refiners Association of Malaysia, Oporum? Are you familiar with that one? Have you heard of that before? Uh, yes, of course. So if the phosphor is operating globally, so they cover worldwide Right. Forum is kind of organization which operates originally. So they work with those goods which originate from Malaysia and they work with the specific kind of goods, with the specific commodity which is palm oil and palm oil kernel. So they actually do quite similar uh, tasks like phospha but within that specific region. On the other hand, they are also cooperating because uh, their sphere of operation kind of op overlaps. So they issued together a contract, a standard contract, which is the subject matter of the current this problem. They also have arbitration, they do market reports, different researches. They also are engaged in lobbying, so they try to pursue the decisions that are necessary for the businesses there in Malaysia. But once again, they cover only a part of that market, and I would say that is a minor part. Okay, no, I think that that's interesting, and it's especially interesting that you mentioned their participation in arbitration, um, especially being based in Malaysia, and especially considering that this year's problem also involves the AIAC, the Asian International Arbitration Center rules, which is also based in Malaysia. Um, I, I wonder if there's anything that's caught your attention um, related to the specific arbitration rules from Porum, or maybe in relation to the AIAC rules um, as it relates to the problem. Anything that comes to mind? Yeah, first of all, what comes to my mind, it is not typical at all to use phosphor contracts and at the same time applying to a different arbitration institute. So that, that is a great minority of those contracts and they usually concluded because some party wants to have arbitration somehow closer to its place of business because they are doing business in Malaysia, but this is not typical once again. But I would also mention that usually investment problems, uh, they relate to some specific rule in the arbitration rules, which causes some problem. For example, last year it was about the virtual hearings. Before that, it was 
the problem about the disqualification of the experts, but this year is somehow different. So we don't have the side issue which is covered by a specific provision in the rules. That's why I would mention some general clauses which are relevant. So since the problem relates to the applicable law, um, there, there is a provision in the arbitration rules which says that the tribunal can has the power to choose the applicable law. And notably, notably, this provision was not there before the revision of the arbitration rules. And the second point is also about the enforceability. This matter revolves around during any Vismut problem, it pops up almost every year, so that the tribunal must render an enforceable award and the participants need to pay attention to the proper interpretation of the clause that this applies only to the seat of arbitration. So mainly these two rules are basic in terms of the resolution of this particular problem in this. No, sure. I think that that's, that's all really interesting and good to note. Um, and especially that point that, yeah, typically, uh, you know, if someone were to pick up a, you know, pick a year from the Vismut problem, you can usually count on those those several sort of topics always being there, um, whether it be enforceability, some specific element of that year's rules, um, and something that we'll talk about in this next question, um, the CISG and its applicability. Um, so that, that's an interesting point that you raise. And in fact, um, Ivan, coming back to you a bit, um, you know, how often in, in your practice do you come across the CISG? Is it something that's pretty well accepted? Is it something that, um, that, pre, that the parties push back against? Um, what has been your experience with it? Uh, in terms of phosphate disputes, it's unusual to see CISG incorporated into the business because by default, the phosphate contracts, they uh, they eliminated CISG rules from the from the terms. So uh, the, the, because because of the English law and because of the approaches of English lawyers, I would say who develop these specific contracts. So so because they wish for the traders to use English law rather than CISG. So the, this approach. Is, uh, is quite quite straightforward in this respect, but it's, I would say that CISG is extremely close to English law in terms of the approach to the contract, in terms of the damages uh, calculation, in many other respects, which is common for the commodities contracts. Uh, and uh, I would say that besides, first we have different arbitrations in Ukraine. Uh, arbitration disputes as well in commodities contracts and uh, some of them are uh, incorporating CISG terms and the approaches that we usually have towards these contracts is quite similar to FOSFA contracts and the English law. So, uh, so I would say that this is uncommon for FOSFA but we have experience working with that and it is very closely connected terms to usual phosphate terms. Yeah, and if I may jump in, quite often CSG in our practice applies when the parties just forget to choose an applicable law, and that's why just because of this treaty it applies. And also the other thing is that 
when the trade occurs within like neighboring countries. For example, when you don't need to go to London, to, when you don't want to English law to apply because you don't have the expertise. And CSG seems, you know, more familiar to those trading more locally. So that's why this is the instance when this treaty is applicable. But at the same time, I have also encountered the situations when the parties specifically exclude the CSG from the application of that contract. And this is so because there is a tendency, like the perception on the market, that CSG protects more of the seller. But this is not that common. Usually, parties just don't care and apply phosphorus. That's the regular approach. Well, sure. And, you know, with the CISG in mind and, and, the, and the FOSFA rules as well, um, one of the things that you mentioned earlier, Ivan, is, is this concept of sometimes uh, communications or discussions about a contract can be something that happens over Viber, WhatsApp, uh, Signal, Telegram, any of these types of messaging services. Um, and they're quite informal. Um, but, you know, I think we all know, or at least have seen instances where um, those can potentially be a contract as described under the applicable law. Is that something that you guys see often or is it something that's um, pretty uncommon? I would say that, that that's a, it's, it's a very common dispute. At least 50% of all the disputes is about whether there was a contract. So the, the question which you ask here, why is that so? So what's, what's the problem with that? So uh, there, there are few issues which must be considered here. Number one is volatility of the market, it's prices, they are always jumping jumping up and going down. Every day trade shows that, especially the last two years, that's, that's extremes. We see every day 10, 15, 20 dollars per metric ton is jumping every day. And what does it mean? It means that either for the buyer or for the seller, this contract becomes uh, unprofitable or they're getting losses. That's why what, what they might what they might try to do is just jump out from this contract. They're trying to say, we have no contract agreed. I have no I have no messages from you whatsoever. I haven't seen it. I haven't agreed on that. I haven't agreed on on this forum, I mean, I haven't agreed the arbitration clause, that's not the applicable law, you cannot go there or, the, or here. And this is 50% of the disputes actually. Uh, the other thing here why it's happening is because with what, what you just mentioned, Chris, with respect to the way the contract is made, because it's very simple. Uh, and it's good on one hand because the trade is, is fast, it, it allows the, 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 the trade to be fast. But on the other side for that is because of such a simplicity, sometimes it's getting complicated to, uh, to, uh, to establish a contract, to show that the contract was actually agreed. And many questions arise in this respect. Whether all the terms which are fundamental for the contract was agreed between the parties or not, whether it's sufficient to have those I don't know, five terms like price, like shipment period, like delivery basis, whether it's enough, whether this is enough or not, whether the parties actually agreed on the proper arbitration clause, whether enough to have just a simple reference to force for certain contract, 
whether it's enough not just to get the award from the FOSFA, but also to get the enforcement of this respective award. Because we understand that besides just getting the award, you must also consider the further enforcement in the respective country. So what is the approach of that country towards New York Convention? What is the approach to, of this country towards the enforcement of what must you bear in mind? Maybe your recommendation to the client would be that's not enough just to have this WhatsApp correspondence. You must do something in writing and to have a signature and staff. Maybe you do you must do some KYC before that to find out uh, who is the director of the company, who is actually authorized to sign this contract, whether this person is has the relevant legal capacity to sign it. So this is creating a lot of a lot of questions and this is creating a lot of disputes. We can see number of arguments in this respect from the opponents when they say, okay, I've agreed the contract, but actually I had no capacity to do that. So according or to my law where established, I cannot do that. And many, many, many similar arguments in defense. Or simply, what is a pre-established practice? What is a history of established practice and doing business together? How, what exactly is enough to meet that threshold? <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, 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 the, when the traders just simply using according to previous contracts or all the rest as per previous contracts, what are those contracts? Let's consider. Yeah, and then it turns out that they had different terms as per that previous contract. That's a very typical thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, well, guys, look, um, I, we're going to transition here into maybe some some more rapid fire questions in just a minute. But one thing that I would want to hit on before we sort of leave this more and more technical discussion would be um, maybe it's whether it's related to the VIS in particular or just generally. Um, do you have any tips, whether it be orally or written, that you would give for for those trying to advocate um, and be convincing to a tribunal? Any thoughts that come to mind? You don't have to give us a treatise, but anything that just comes to mind when you think about effective advocacy. Uh, like uh, the answer is obvious. I, I don't know if we can have a different view on that, but this, it seems from from my perspective at least that when you have a written contract, it's much much better than to have an oral one. Uh, mainly, mainly for the enforcement reasons. Mainly for the enforcement reasons under the New York Convention, rather than for FOSFA, because. The current FOSFA practice, I would say, is quite positive in terms of establishing the jurisdiction issue, establishing the fact that parties did agree. They are quite quite open and quite liberal approach and very flexible approach in terms of the parties, because that's also an issue. You might have a contract, but the question, who are the parties to this contract? That's, that's also a huge issue because who would be those parties that are listed on the first page? Uh, I mean, because many, many traders operating with the different names and they have number of number of counterparties you might have as an option. So there are many, many things like that. So if you choose to have a written contract, that's much more better option in order if you wish to be a claimant, of course. If you wish to claim someone uh but if you wish to be a defendant if of course if you if you have such a desire or at least that that's quite a different approach sure 
and Pablo, same question. And um, in particular, if you want to add on to there, any things that uh, students will want to keep in mind as this begins shifting, you know, at the time of this release, uh, this episode, the climate memo will have just gone out or just have been submitted. So anything that folks should be thinking about as they start working on the respondent memo? I would make two points. First of all, I would keep in mind that traders are usually have long-term partnerships in commodities trade. So they have lots of contracts between themselves. They have years of cooperation. And quite often they have lots of established practices and arbitrators do treat those practices as legally binding. So they pay lots of attention to these matters. And this is, I would say, even more than in other industries. The, the second thing that I would like also to point out is that the parties usually do not fill in their FOSFA contract. They just make a reference. And what is important is that those FOSFA contracts are not easy, easily accessible. So you need to pay FOSFA some fee to get that contract. And it's not just like easily published on some website. So there is a certain obstacle to obtaining these general rules and conditions within which FOSFA operates. Taking into account that this is one of the key issues of the problem, I would pay attention to this fact if I were a student this year. No, great. I think that's well said. And um, I think that's been a, a good sort of a, a good discussion and examination of some of the issues around the VIS problem. It's always tricky when you want to talk about the VIS problem while it's live because you don't want to give any spoilers and you don't want to tell people where to look or what arguments to make. But um, I think you guys have done a good job of sort of framing sort of the, the topics around it. So, so, so thank you for that. Um, let's step back for a second. Let's zoom out. Uh, we want to talk about you guys a little bit more. Um, for and you know we'll throw this question first to you ivan um what are you reading right now what kind of books are you into uh, for th th those are many books uh, actually I, I really like to read and there are professional books i mean my my, my table book is Benjamin sales of goods so this is something that you must have if you're a commodity lawyer so uh, that, that's number one source for of your knowledge so if you wish to know something about uh, if you want to know something about trade and understand it so you must have this book it's called Benjamin sales of goods uh, so other one other books from arbitration is of course born uh, so I think that's you cannot get something more than that. Uh, no offense to other books because I really like also Redfern, Redfern and Hunter. Uh, I also like my teacher's book, uh, Lucas Mistalis from Queen Mary University. That's also a good book. Uh, but I would say number one is, of course, Born. Uh, it, it's from the professional. Uh, it's something that I that I use in my career. And the other things that I have is also I I really like some philosophy literature and I also like Russian literature. So I I like Tolstoy. I like Dostoevsky. I, I really like uh, some uh, uh, mystical books like uh, from from Indian philosophy. I like things like, which is called Vedas, uh, so yoga things. So this is something that I enjoy besides besides professional books. Very cool. How about you, Pablo? Well, I'm currently reading a book by Patty McCord about Netflix. 
this is powerful building culture of freedom and responsibility this is the book uh, about how to arrange the business processes properly and efficiently and i think this is quite helpful for lawyers because we tend to use some conservative methods in arranging workforce while she provides really insight and very interesting way of how to arrange the HR and how to arrange the business process. So I would definitely recommend this book for anyone who is working within the law industry and is interested in the management. Very interesting. No, those uh, I'll have to check that one out. I, I like a good uh, management book. That's that's fun. Um, and along those same veins, um, you know, talking about how you spend your fair, spare time, um, what kind of music are you into? And we'll stick right with you, uh, Pablo. Music are you into, or do you have any favorite artists? Or speaking of Netflix, what are you watching on Netflix? Yeah, I would rather answer the question about music because I'm really a rock head. I had collection of CD discs, and I have two favorite bands. The first one is uh, Linkin Park. I'm really a great fan of Chester Bennington. I'm very sad that I cannot attend his concerts anymore, but uh, it really helps me to get over lots of things that are happening in my life. And the second band is 21 Pilots. I really enjoy their music and I know each and every song of theirs. So even those that were, you know, deleted from official music platforms because of their label, I still found them in very private sources. So this is like my favorite music that I enjoy a lot. No, very well. And how about you, uh, Ivan, same question. Uh, actually, I'm more like a movie guy. Uh, in terms of music, I'm, uh, I, I can't name anyone, but I, I can, but I don't want to because I really like soul, jazz, I, I, I like this kind of music, so I can listen it for four hours and something that relaxes me. It's, it's really getting me in a proper mood. Uh, in terms of movies, I actually like I, I actually like everything in, in, in Netflix. Uh, I'm, 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 I actually I'm, I'm not a fan of the new one because I try to. Uh, tr I, I had a couple of series of this new movie from uh, from South Korea. Uh, which is which, which I mean, uh, how is it called? South Korean, South Korean uh, new movie. I, I think you know that it's number one in top rating of in every country. It's like many, many about about South Korean Squid love. Game. Squid Games, yeah. Squid Games. So yeah, Squid I, Games. I think, yeah, yeah. I was gonna yeah, say. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I try to do those movies, but I actually fan of um, something more like uh, Star Wars or uh, Interstellar or something about the about the space about the space adventures I'm, I'm more like I'm a fan of such kind of movies actually okay very interesting very interesting um okay no th those are great those are great uh, choices and uh squid games is great so I won't spoil it for anyone here um okay well look we're guys we're starting to uh, wind down here um and there I have just a couple of more questions for you um and this is for both of you but we'll start with Ivan um Let's say if you were approached by a current student, a recent graduate, or someone looking to break into uh, maybe international disputes uh, more broadly, uh, what advice would you give them to prepare them to make that transition? 
uh, actually, the, for, for, for young lawyers, I would uh, my main recommendation is to be open for any new information, it, not to try to limit yourself to traditional questions. So you must think much more, much broader. You must be interested in everything what your clients do. You must be interested in everything what what is going beyond just legal issues. If you understand the broader scope of issues, the better you will be. The better in answers, you 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 will you will just open your mind. You will have an op a chance to open your mind for the different approach. It's something that actually we benefited uh, as a firm and myself at the very very early years of our firm because. Uh, uh, that was a great success for for ourselves not to have any experience because if you have no experience it means you can have completely different approach and completely completely different path so you must be open for these new passes and you must be open for for new approaches that's that's number one advice if you have that in mind then you will find the answer because the, the answer to, to your questions and to the and to to the to the different cases and disputes might be quite different from from those that are used by the lawyers for many many years no i think that's i think that's great advice that's those are some great tips i think um how about you Pablo? well i would say that all those lawyers should also try to figure out other fields that they might be interested in so i would say there are lots of matters legal matters which are in intersection between the fields between it and law between business and law between i don't know some life sciences and law and this is where i think the blue oceans lie and that might be a huge you know uh, field of development for young lawyers so that would be my personal advice to those people who only start their career. No, that, that's very, uh, no, I think that that's a good, again, another great tip. Um, okay, and this last question is a really hard uh, deep dive of a question uh, for the two of you. Let's say that it's 5 p.m. on a Friday. Um, for some reason, you are completely free um, for the weekend, no client obligations, you can do whatever you want, wave a magic wand, be wherever you wanna be. Um, how would you spend your ideal weekend that would be impossible first of all but yeah actually if it is uh, i think i would escape from this noisy city of kiev and go somewhere to the mountains because you know quite often you have lots of ideas revolving around and floating in the air and mountains is, are the place where you can just enjoy the silence and get you know this very quiet state of mind and then get back to all those tasks that you have no I would that's a good respect yeah i so uh, number one is it's friday evening so it's restaurant you can go restaurant with your family with your friends and then uh you can do some sport on saturday which is great you can decide on basketball you can do some tennis football whatever we again with your friend that that's that's amazing great and just sunday you're walking around in the city you're having a coffee you're having some some great dessert you're just interacting with the people you're just walking around and looking at what's what how the how your city lives that's 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 really great just just to think from for, for something to, to think over for something different rather than just daily work and daily routine which is great but still 
you you must have something different. That, that's actually very important for the lawyers because if you are um, if you are can if you if you're trying to close your mind just on the profession, that's also a, a huge limit for the development. Uh, for the law, it's really important to develop yourself in, in, in different spheres. It's very important because that can give you uh, that can give you some new understanding of what you are doing and how you can do it differently. Uh, because my feeling and my understanding that our profession uh, uh, needs to be modified because of the technologies, because of the changes in the world, and we must be ready for that. That the old the old tips, the old skills might not be may not be acceptable by the future. So that's something that we must understand. Okay, so I know when I come to Ukraine, either I can hang out in the mountains with uh, Pavlo, or Ivan and I can go hit the courts, shoot some hoops. That'll be a good time and check out some restaurants. <laughs> um, well, truly, the last question, and before we get out of here, guys, um, any shout outs or anyone that you uh, um, want to uh, to give a tip of the cap to before we uh, break for today? Well, shout out from my side is to Alexander Zablotsky, who actually made us acquainted and made this podcast happen. So thanks to him and best regards. Great. Awesome. And how about you, Ivan? And as well. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I mean, all my, all my support is with this team so uh best luck best of luck well guys um unfortunately even for this special edition of tales of the tribunal we are out of time um so great to have had you here in the digital studio today thank you guys so much for coming by thank you so much chris it was really a great conversation no no, no thank you so, so much um do you guys want to sign us off uh yes i'm pablo Lebedev. there is no dispute in it uh you are listening to the tales of the tribunal great and we will see y'all next time. And there you have it. The first episode of TOT of 2022 is in the books. Ayy. And I hope you learned a ton about palm oil. Picked up some tips for the moot as well and maybe even gained some insights on how you can specialize in a field of international dispute resolution. Now, before we get out of here for the week, and as promised, a couple of quick and very important announcements. First, just in case you want to know even more about the palm oil industry, you're in luck as the Moot Alumni Association, the MAA, hosts an event titled Everything You Need to Know About the Palm Oil Industry and featured comments from professionals in the field like Karina Brunai, Ade Kayet, and Misra Yaslin. Registration is available on the MAA website and we'll include a link in the show notes. Second is a very special announcement from a former guest of the show. Dr. Kabir Dugal has teamed up with Harold Sipple to announce the release of their new book called Force Majeure and Hardship in the Asia Pacific Region. The book launch will be on January 24th, 2022 in an online event brought to you by Juris arbitration law in the New York International Arbitration Center, or NIAC. Hey, Rekha. We'll include a link to where you can sign up for the event in the show notes. But given how much force majeure has affected the legal world and a number of industries all around the globe, you want to add this to your 2022 reading list. Finally, dear listeners, that's it for now. We have kicked off 2022 with a bang, and we'll be back in your podcast queues with more information, stories from around the world, and content 
from across the industry. But until next time, thanks for listening. This has been Tales of the Tribunal. Happy New Year, and let's make it a great 2022. None of the views shared on today or any episode of Tales of the Tribunal is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any person or party for their appearance on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees appear on an arm's length basis, and their appearances should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.